Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. Well, Scott, thanks a lot for being on the show today. I'm excited to unpack, uh, you know, real estate. And this isn't real estate 101. This is uh, real estate on a big scale. So thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Yeah, happy to be here, Dustin. It's awesome. So my, you know, my initial question of asking, you know, like, you know, help us understand, Scott, you went from one rental house to two rental houses, and then you did a few projects. You know, that that's not actually your story. Your story starts with going from... Uh, you know, no rental properties to a 45 unit, uh, I think it's a condo building and, and now push ahead to where, where are you at in sort of the size of the business now? How many, uh, you know, properties are you managing now? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I guess I can go, if I go back to the beginning, it was 2005 and yeah, the first one we decided to take on, um, you know, my wife and I had always wanted to uh, go out and start a company and and um, I met her at WestJet actually when I worked there I worked there from 1999 to 2004 and uh, I always had this idea of, of starting a company but I had no idea what that was actually going to be and uh, so I left there in 2005 and had a list of 10 ideas and real estate development I don't think it was even on the list um, and then it was uh, my dad actually had a quarter interest in this land and Courtney on Vancouver Island and and he said why don't you go check that out and see if you can do anything with it and um, my brother Matt was actually doing construction for other developers and so he had all the construction experience and I went and looked at the land and thought well you know maybe we can do something here and I had I knew I had the backing of uh, Don Bell who was one of the co-founders of WestJet uh, he said that you know whatever I wanted to do I'd back you and so I I had that in the background, which was great confidence building for trying to decide what to do. And yeah, I looked at the land and tried to figure out where there was an opportunity. There was there was a lot being sold at the time. It was you know 2005 was you know pretty heady days in the real estate market. It was it was going well, but there was a lot of product in Courtney that wasn't selling kind of higher end stuff. And anyway, analyzed the market, decided we could do some condos, and and uh, and ended up. The first project was a 45-unit condo project, which I don't, in hindsight, I don't, it probably isn't the way most people start, but I, I just, I don't know, the math worked and, and uh, managed to convince my, my dad's uh, major partner uh, to uh, hold off on us closing until we got a development permit. So it took a lot of the risk away and um, I got Don and a, and a friend of his, uh, Keith, on board and, and away we went. And so I don't know that there wasn't some big analysis of is that too big or or should I even take this on? It was just kind of like, oh, well, there's the deal. And I remember by May 2005, decided we were going to proceed with it and, and put all the other ideas aside. And, and away we went. And uh, yeah, Scott, I, I would my, my question that, that, that I have is how and when you're so you, I want you to finish the story, but. For someone who's looking to put that together, you obviously had a fam, you have a wife, and you had a mouth, you know, that needs groceries and food. Like when someone, you know, especially if real estate being the value is so high now, a lot of people have trouble getting into it. So that was going to be your full-time job. So what did you say to the investors to say, I need a wage? So was that was your wage built into the pro forma, or has or did you just have savings that you just lived on and didn't didn't take a wage? Yeah, so savings until we had a development permit. So savings until the investment came on. And so it took from, um, there's a crazy story there actually on, on, um, <laughs> we'd saved a hundred thousand at WestJet. So both my okay. wife and I, we'd, we'd matched out. They had an awesome matching program, which we then instituted at High Street as soon as we started hiring people. So they had a matching program that allowed us to save a hundred thousand in the five years I was there. And um, so that was the original stake was the hundred thousand that we'd saved up. Um, it was basically saving twenty percent of our of our base salary uh, every year, and then uh, wow. WestJet would match it. So you're saving forty percent of your salary, 
every year, and that was put into the public shares. And there, there was a vest period on it and stuff, but it was um, anyway. So hundred thousand in five years, and that was what we spent. We also did a house flip in Vernon to try to keep some uh, keep some money flowing. So we made a bit of money on a house flip in Vernon at the time, which in high, hindsight is funny. Like that, it was a it was a nice house in Coldstream that we bought for two hundred and forty thousand, uh, and and did a bunch of rentals on it. Spent forty thousand on it and sold it for. 300 or something or 300 i don't know can't remember the exact math made 20 or 30 grand i thought you'd cashed in made a bit of money and that was just to keep the groceries coming in and and paying uh paying a mortgage because we we had uh the most the most expensive place we could afford at the time we i had to port the mortgage didn't want to lose the mortgage that we had in calgary and so we ported the mortgage to a hundred and sixty thousand dollar condo in vernon at the time and uh it was on the Right on the Vernon Golf Course. It was really nice, but anyway, that was all we could afford at the time. Which we then we then ported to uh we sold that after a year and and moved into a condo on Leon. Uh, it was oh, actually nice. Yeah, nice it was part of town. town. Yeah. <laughs> it was right outside the red zone. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in one of uh, Webster's uh, buildings there, right on on Leon. Um, anyway, so that was interesting. We didn't last long there. We we did a we Weird. flipped. Did a reno there actually, and then sold it. But um, anyway, where was I? I was well, bring us up to speed with with sort of getting to your salary. You know how you lived once you got the money, got the development. Because I think lots of people, you know, think of doing a real estate investment. They get an investor. Okay, the investor puts in money, but then am I supposed to just bootstrap myself until this place sells and then get the profit, or can I build in? Hey, like I'm going to work on this full time. For sure. And so largely bootstrapped um, until we took the risk out of it. So by the time by the time the investors came on board, we had a development permit and we'd also done some pre-marketing. So I spent a whole bunch of money getting the getting the website and the and the well, it was mostly the, the development permit, architects and engineers and everything else. So that hundred thousand was down to ninety um, by December of two thousand five. Sorry, that we spent ninety. It was down to ten. Like, right. Versus the math there, but we were down to ten. And uh, there's a there's a funny story of not not so funny at the time, uh, but it was a good experience at the time. Was we almost got we were told that the project had to be put on hold. So imagine my whole life had been built up to starting a business. Like I. From grade four on, I wanted to start a business. And so right. I was doing everything in my life leading up to that, from taking accounting courses to taking commerce at UVic. And, and so I was doing accounting on the side at Camosun. I thought this was a bunch of successful entrepreneurs had told me I should learn the accounting side. So, okay, I'll learn accounting. I was doing all this, and I took the job at WestJet. You know, like a five-year time horizon. I was going to work there for five years, save as much as I could, and go start a business. So that's what I did. Like this was, I was living the plan. It was five years and a month at WestJet, and then go start a business. And we'd saved and scrimped and saved a hundred thousand, and this was the start. So now we're down to we'd spent ninety of the hundred, and our permit was being held up. And uh, fortunately, a contact there. Uh, Dave Sloboden, who had worked for my dad um, in the 70s as a carpenter, was now in charge of the building department at Courtney. And he told me to come in and and uh, see the engineering department. So after waiting around uh, for an hour, I went down there and waited around for hours in the reception area until the, the director of engineering came and talked to me. And, and he said, yeah, we've got to put your project on hold. I'm sitting there. This is early December. I'm going, um, what? What do you... <laughs> What do you mean? Oh, well, we're doing a big traffic study for the whole city and, and 20th Street, where your project is, is identified as a potential bridge location. And uh, it's like, uh, okay, so what does that, what does that mean? Like, what are you gonna, when are you gonna make a decision? Well, the report's not due till next August. Ooh. Okay, so are you gonna make a decision like shortly after that, or how long is that going to take? Well, there'll be consultations, and the council and mayor will look at it. And I don't, I don't know. There's no real timeline. And I mean, to this day, they haven't built another bridge, so they still haven't made a decision <laughs> where it's going. But, but he was going. Well, you know, it'll hold it up. 
And I said, well, what if, what if it is the bridge location? Well, we'd expropriate the land. Well, I didn't have anything on title. I just had it under contract. So 90 grand would have been just right. gone, right? And so anyway, I got pretty fired up and, and uh, left that meeting and thought like, holy shit, this could be it. I'd have to go back and go to work again. Yeah. Like, that was the worst thing in the world at the time. Oh my God, I, I'm going to have to be <laughs> And the 90 grand that we'd spent all this time and scrimping and saving was just going to be gone, right? Yeah. Oh, that was horrible. So um, anyway, I called uh, Dave, uh, the, the fellow that knew was in charge of the building department. He said, well, you got to get in front of council and, and try to get them to remove it as an option. You can do a delegation to council and you just send in an application and, and you'll get in front of them and, and try to convince them that they should remove 20th Street as an option. So um so I started calling everybody who had a vested interest. There was a little air park there. There was a marina. There was a, it's on an estuary. So it was an estuary society that would have been impacted. There was, there was all kinds of reasons why they shouldn't have built it there. And so I, I started just calling everybody saying, call your mayor and counselor and tell them this is a bad idea. And so by the time I showed up to council, it was just before Christmas, um, it was like December 23rd or something. And um, by the time I showed up, I got in front of them and presented you know why this is a bad idea i got him to vote it down as a, as an option and, nice uh, yeah and so then that was a huge relief it was a bit of a huge christmas present and then we got our development permit on february 5th uh, 2006 wow how, did, how many trial runs did you do any like in the mirror or in the basement presenting to your oh, wife no, or? I, i've never uh i never practiced yeah um, <laughs> uh, that's the one thing i don't know why i just i've never sat and rehearsed a speech so yeah i just and, and i don't know if it's a lack of i think part of the i've thought about this at different times like part of it i don't i i weigh i weigh risk but i don't ever get too excited about it like i don't know why i, I can't explain it i don't like i've looked back on some of the things that we've been through and i go i should have been a lot more worried about that at the time and i and i i just I don't know. I go, well, I'm going to find a way. I will find a way. Like there's no, there's no way that this will hold things up. I just, it's just another problem to work around. So I've always kind of just, I, I just take some analytical framework and go, well, how am I going to find a way around it? And it's not going to hold us up and it's not going to be a, this isn't going to impact us. Um, so, so you're almost doing your goals. Like when you, you seem like you strike me as a goal type person. So when you do your goals, it isn't so much, like I think that's an important part. You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of what could happens. You know, here's a goal out here. You know, we call it decision quicksand. You're, you're here today and you've got some opportunity out here. But then to go there, bang, 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 bang. There's all these what could happen. So you get stuck in the quicksand. So is there any sort of, there's any process or routine you go through? Or is it just natural that you just say, uh, you know, here's something. I'm, you know, or how do you decipher if you've got five goals or five things that you want to do in the future what is going to go right to the top uh, because that's where i think the analysis that people start going well they start weighing out all these options but how how do you how do you know like right now on your on your 2025 vision or 2022 what's up to the surface and and how did it get there Jeez, uh good question i shot um, you with a shotgun of questions sorry yeah, no, it's okay. There's, I think the whole idea around how do you, how do you set goals or what is the, what is the right goal or what do you, um, what's your decision-making process, I guess, it's around that is, is where mm-hmm. you're coming from. I, yeah, I can tell you in the beginning, um, it wasn't that complicated. Right. Um, even now I can't argue it's that complicated. It's just in the beginning, you're just, it's a battle. You're just trying to make it happen. And, and you know, for, it was really about trying to create some financial security in the beginning. And, and you're just going, going 90 miles an hour. I remember the, you know, the first time, I mean, the first time we raised money, when we got money from Don and Keith, I was, I was relatively confident with that, but it was all of a sudden you, you get the money and then you're like, Oh shit, I got to actually have to make all this happen that I told yeah. them. Like I, I, and then you're just going, you're just like, oh man, I gotta go, I gotta make this happen. And so every day you wake up and you're, and you're giving it 
And and that worked well. The first project, we we met our expected return and the expected timeline. But then uh, we had another condo project going, and uh, and we had we we decided to build a hotel in Courtney. And then 2008 hit. It was uh, September 2008, and we pulled the plug on the condo project. And um, and then we had this hotel under construction, which was all of a sudden, you know, I was I was naive enough at the time that I took the so. This is a great story wise. I took the hundred thousand in the first project and turned it into five hundred thousand. Right. And I thought, well, geez, like that was and it was it was over um it was close to three years. But in the meantime, I started some other stuff. I thought, well, if I can do that repeatedly and do one or two projects a year, like this, what a life. This is awesome. <laughs> right. Like, and so can I turn five hundred into two point five and and I didn't have any, really didn't have any employees at the time. I had a part-time bookkeeper. I was kind of doing all this myself. I thought, this is wonderful. Is this how set, easy it is? Set like, for life. Set for oh, life. yeah. Is this how easy it is? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> September 2008 hit. And oh, and you asked the question about wages. I was taking 2500 a month per project. Okay, so that's that's good. That's important. So you pitched that yeah. to the investors and said, I need 30000 a year at least to... Yeah warrant my effort right just to put some food on the table but i was i i was trying to take the most out of the equity side so i was trying to keep the the fees to a minimum right, right. so I would, it was purposely really low so i could maximize the equity which works great when things are going well but when things aren't like in september 2008 that stopped so i had two projects going on i had the, the hotel i shouldn't say it stopped entirely i had i still had the hotel i had 2500 a month from the hotel 2500 a month from the condo project. Well, that stopped. So I was down to 2500 a month. Um, you know, we had had a baby, uh, had a house at the time. 2500 a month was not enough <laughs> to keep things going. And I'd reinvested everything. Like between putting it all back in the next condo project and the hotel and this house we built, I didn't have any cash left apart. So it was like, it's like, it was a holy shit moment. And um, anyway, so then obviously that that got my back was against the wall and we decided or I just looked at like, what can we do uh, and, you know, what what can we possibly get done at this time and in this market and this economy and rental apartments were still something that banks would look at. They were still considering that as an option that they would finance. And so started to aggressively look at that. My brother had. Um, experience building rental apartments. I just and love the fact I got to jump in that your back's against the wall, you're panicking, and then you're now you're looking at another a bigger project to get yourself out of the hole. Love oh it. yeah, no, there was no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was no option to turn around. It was like, well, okay, we're going bigger. Like it wasn't we're going smaller and retrenching. It was yeah, you need to go bigger. And so literally, it was, and I don't know. I don't know how you can explain that. I think part of it was the psychology around, I'd never want to be in this situation again. I never want to be, you know, I had a baby. I had like, I was just like, I can't, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a horrible provider. If I can't like make this happen through a downturn and we're possibly having to sell our house at the worst possible time. Like it was, right. it was horrible. So I was like, okay, we're not doing this again. Let's, Let's go. Like, let's find opportunity anywhere in Western Canada. And I mean, I was naive at the time. We went to Dawson Creek and Yellowknife, and and then we were looking at Saint Albert, and um, only because land rent was really high and land was cheap. And gotcha. so, I, that I, you know, real estate. I mean, yeah. cap rates have a massive impact on the value of real estate. I was too naive at the time to even realize that. Like I was like, all oh, these rents in Yellowknife and look at that, we can get in on the land really cheap. I mean, yeah. I was borrowing money from, I borrowed money from Don and, and another investor just to make it through so that I could get these projects going to the point where I could raise money. And then we raised like coming out of, it was 2010. Um, by the time we had the land tied up and we had them far enough along, the permitting was in place, things were, Things were ready to to bring the money in because I always I didn't want to risk the money. Um, I'd had that experience already in Courtney. I wanted the permit in place and to have relative certainty about the project moving ahead before bringing the cash on, because that way I could also get the most equity. 
out of it. Right. If you, and if you go too early, you're not going to get much equity because they're going to, well, what do you got? You, you've, yeah. got, you've got nothing. And so, again, didn't pay myself until we brought the investors on. And then we went and raised $8.4 for these projects. And so wow. if, if you think the first time was scary when we raised a million. I was going to just say and then 8. We had 8.4 times. And then we had 8.4 from 39 different investors, all of whom were people we personally knew. Like these were Don's friends and my friends. And, and so, you know, friends, dads, like it was like, this was a big deal if we screwed up. And so it was like all this excitement around getting the projects to the point where we were ready to go, then go raise the money, go around. I was, my first presentation was horrible. Like you'd, I look back on it now, we got stuck in that. We were like at Denny's in Calgary and guys were coming and going. And it's like maybe you should have practiced. Horrible. (laughs) It's a horrible investment presentation. It's like finally Don asked after that, Don, we're not doing that again. Like we are booking the venue, they are showing up on time. We're giving the presentation, and then if there's any questions at the end, we'll deal with it. But I said, Yeah, that was crazy. Like we're this is not a coffee shop meeting. This is like we're we're presenting. So anyway, we finally we got through all that. We raised the April four, and then it, again, it was like, "Oh crap!" Like now we've got now we got eight point four, and we've told all these people what we're going to do, and we got to got to make all this money. Like, and and so for the first few years, it was just running, scared, like just worried about worried about them, worried about even less so about our own personal financial situation. It was just like we got to make this happen because. Yeah. Otherwise, like I've got to have a whole lot of pissed off people and no friends left and, and everything else. And so it's just, just go. And, uh, and so there wasn't a whole, you know, you talked about setting goals and what was the objective. And in the beginning, it was just get something going, get more going than one, get them going in places that, that have, um, you know, at the time, I was like, "Well, what's the what's the labor force situation? Where's the employment?" Um, you know, I looked at our our first big mistake was being so focused in in the Comox Valley, which was a very recreational market, and so recreational markets in a downturn take a bigger hit than right. the markets with stable employment and everything else, and, and, and steady employment in a in you know a more varied employment. I should have learned about the varied employment in Dawson Creek, but. Anyway, so we we went after it, and then it was just the flywheel starts to spin. It worked. Uh, St. Albert didn't work that great. Yellowknife was a huge home run. Dawson Creek was pretty good. And then we went back into Yellowknife and did another Edmonton. Edmonton was then a home run. Yellowknife wasn't, but they were combined investments at the time. So the overall returns at the beginning was, was, you know, we were doing 36% a year, 39% a year. It was great, right? People were loving it. And that allowed us to then build on that and keep going. We'd take the money, we'd get the money out of the project that we started two years ago and then give that back and say, oh, here, here's the next projects. And so there wasn't a lot of, you know, it was more like the panic around, I I need another project ready by the time we're paying that out. So then I'd be frantically going out to get something permitted and get ready here's your money back. Oh, by the way, here's the next one. And, and by then we'd had a, a few people hired. So there was that like, okay, we got to keep this going because we got these people on board. And it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of like, you know, naval gazing or goal setting until, until a few years in, it was really until probably, you know, 2013, 2014 that we started, I started to think, Oh, like, this is working. Um, you know, by that point I got rid of one partner that wasn't working out and it's like, okay, this is starting to work. Like, why are we doing this? And then it wasn't really until I started to think about that stuff. And then it wasn't really until even, even, um, you know, I would say that at that point there was Don and myself and my brother, Mass's partners. And we were not a hundred percent aligned, but I mean, Mass got great. He's doing great things with, with train as well and but it was it wasn't until he went and started doing his own thing and we were doing our own thing that don and i really started to think about um what we were doing and why and, and started to look further out and that's where the stuff around net zero came from and and you know our our vision around i always kind of think of it as, as 
what are we going to care the most about in 40 years? And I, and I'm a huge fan of, of uh, Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger at Berkshire Hathaway. And I, I follow all their stuff. And I always think like, you know, I'll be, I'll be 86 in 40 years and Don will be 106. He's like yeah. Charlie, he'll still be alive. Um, and uh, like, what's that going to look like? if we look back on high street and so we started to create this vision around, you know, first of all, we want to be a place where, people will recommend their friends to work. So start there. It's, it's about the people who work here first, and then it's about the customers. We want the customers to recommend their friends as a place to buy from or rent from. And then third, uh, the investors will recommend to their friends. And so it's, it's purposefully in that order. It starts with the people who work here first, and then the customers and the investors will follow. If the first two are working, the, invest, the investors will, will do fine. And so... What does that mean? Like you think about, well, what we're trying to create now is this place where people love coming to work. They, they get up in the morning and they go, I, you know, I, I want to go there. I, I, I enjoy it and I, I get some satisfaction out of it. And, and, and so that's been a huge um, emphasis for us in the last few years. And it's led to leadership and management training and, and all kinds of things around that that we're trying to, trying to do. So that, it wasn't until, I have to say, like it wasn't really until 2016 that we really started to focus in on that real goal setting and the, and the looking further out. And this whole idea around net zero, I mean, right now, we're, everything we're building is net zero ready. We're not going to fully so net, net zero, zero. Just for anyone who doesn't know, one minute recap of what does net zero mean? Yeah, net zero is that you would, uh, you would, uh, produce as much uh, energy on site in a year as you use. So in other words, your, your annual carbon footprint would be, would be neck would be zero. Neutral. So that's the whole idea behind net zero. And that's, there's different, there's slightly different definitions of that, but that's the most common I would say. And so obviously in Canada, it's really tough to um, produce enough electricity on site. To make it through the winter period, you can you can largely produce a lot of electricity with solar. The, the technology is not quite there to go fully net zero on a on an individual building site yet, uh, but it's coming. Uh, you could use geothermal. You can. There's other ways, but the predominant um, first step of getting to net zero is reduce your consumption as much as possible. So that's what we've we've done is we've designed these buildings that are super energy efficient and, and it's really the the building code will be bringing it in like if by 2030 in bc this will be a requirement um we're already there so we started uh, doing uh, net zero ready our first building was actually carrington view in west Kelowna, um, and we did that last year so we've we've already been been going down this path our, our community in penticton is net zero ready and it's it's super energy efficient it starts with building envelope you know, you, you end up putting three inches of rock sole insulation on the outside in addition to the, you know, R24 walls, triple pane windows, uh, super energy efficient uh, ERVs, which is uh, it basically just recycles the, the heating uh, and the, that's going outside of the building and, and uses it to heat the air coming in and, uh, and then vice versa in the summer. So, you know, we've got We've got heat pump, hot water tanks. We've got uh, uh, we've got ventless dryers. We've got all this stuff that makes it super energy efficient. So, so how, how do you then? So you do you guys strictly build and rent, or do you build and sell? Oh, we do both. Yeah. So we and we've sold entire communities to uh, some large uh, REITs, actually Skyline Apartment REIT is, is one of our biggest uh, buyers. They've bought a lot from us and and uh, they're awesome to work with. We also, last year, um, we had a change in, in strategy where I walked into our, our building in Carrington View that was our first net zero ready building. And I mean, we've made amazing strides as a company uh, compared to what we built in the beginning in Dawson Creek in 2010. It was our first apartment building. And if you look at it now, you wouldn't even recognize it. It's just, they are very competitive with what, it, you know, a mid-range wood frame condo uh, would be. 
And are you talking price or looks? Looks, looks okay. for sure. And like just and the and the quality we put in, like I know that the quality we put in that's unseen around the energy efficiency and the soundproofing and the extra emphasis. You can't build a net zero ready building and not have good quality because there's so much emphasis on air tightness in the building. All the trades have to work together and cooperate, which makes it energy efficient and more soundproof. And, you know, like it's just, you can't yeah. do this without focusing on the quality and, and getting the trades to all work well together. And so I walked into the building and I just looked at it and I thought, you know, this is a really nice condo. And we're giving it away to these apartment REITs as a rental building. Meanwhile, if we went to market with it, the demand would it would be the uptake on it would be would be awesome. So we, we made a purposeful shift a year a year ago to go to more condo. And then since that time we've been selling a lot of condos. So we kind of our current plan, we do about four or five projects a year right now. Right. And our current our current model is to sell half as condos. Now the condo market may dry up and we may end up keeping more, but right now we're selling uh, roughly half as condos. So we did uh, in the last year, uh, Langford, we've got 225 condos out there. We sold in 103 days. Uh, Nanaimo, we launched sales in Nanaimo three weeks ago. Um, there's 172 condos there and we've got about 130 sales already. Uh, it was three weeks ago. And so the, yeah. we're really focusing on our, our brand as a, you know, uh, leading in energy efficiency, leading in, you know, we're the no carbon uh, builder and, and um, pushing towards net zero and, and demonstrating that to the market. So whether that's on the rental side or the condo side, um, we're doing that and we'll keep the rentals uh, that we build as net zero ready buildings, because I don't think that there's any other, there's going to be the odd developer builder who does a net zero ready building or, or, you know, a lead platinum building, right. but not at the scale we're doing rental apartments right now. Like right. For, for the markets we're in, I'm, I'm quite confident that we're, we're one of the, one of the only ones doing net zero ready buildings at scale in multiple markets across BC. Like we've got, we're in Comox and Nanaimo and Langford and we're studying one in West Kelowna right now. And uh, we've got a lot more coming. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's- One thing that I find fascinating is, uh, I hear it from clients, is everyone's always trying to get a good deal. Everyone's always trying to, like, cut the expenses, not cut corners, but get, you know, go up. Instead of the, the multiplying, they're, they're subtracting. So, subtract, subtract, just try and get, you know. So, in your case, net zero buildings aren't cheaper to build. So, no. I assume you're still profitable. Uh, so the fact that you're, you're actually building a product that is more expensive a little bit than other products, so a, a two bedroom condo versus a two bedroom condo that you have is more expensive, but the goal, you know, is meet that person. Your market isn't everybody. Your market is a certain buyer. I assume is that, and do you find you have to educate much of your buyers or there's enough of a buyer pool or is an emerging buyer pool that. That isn't really a fear of yours. Yeah, it's funny. We, um, I don't think that the buyer pool, we think it's part of their calculus on whether or not they buy from us, but we haven't, we haven't seen, uh, and we don't try, let me rephrase, we don't try to get a premium in the market. We price for value and we're not worried about, like, let me put it this way. Our margins are fine. <laughs> and yeah. so we don't, we don't need to worry about trying to get a premium out of the market. We, through whatever the reasons are, um, and this model is done in, in a bunch of different ways um, by different builders. Like we've got a, it's a high volume model with repeat trades. Our trades and our consultants are investors. Uh, so we brought them in uh, as investors. They are motivated to help themselves succeed. Um, so part of our whole mission is to share in success. And I think by virtue of that uh, and repeat buildings and repeat, uh, like we, we take the same basic building concept and we'll put it in a bunch of different cities. And so we, we get good at, at 
you know, building that over and over again, and, and we can do it faster and more cost effective than a builder who changes the plan every time and does something entirely different uh, on a new site. And so we get the advantages of that and the scale and the, and the involvement of all of our trades and subtrades and our people. And, and so we've got a very efficient way of doing it. And so I kind of look at it as, and I see a lot of performance of other projects and, and our costs are still lower than, than a lot of the others, wow, right. even with uh, adding the net zero ready stuff. And so, you know, we don't need to stretch uh, on the price side and we're more than happy to like a good example of that is, and we will trade off, you know, I, I always say we'll, we'll trade off margin to meet our vision. Like we want people to, to really enjoy working with us and buying from us and get good value. And we'll trade that off. Like we, the condos in Nanaimo are a good example. A week ago, the marketing team was, was thinking, well, you know, we've been selling so fast, we should probably look at increasing the prices. We only had 50 left by that point. I'm going, well, don't bother. Yeah. We're making a good enough margin. Just let the people have a little more value and, right. and it's fine. Like we don't need to, we don't need to stretch and get the most out of the market. We're doing fine. Right. So let's not, let's not push it. I, I hear <laughs> the essence of the, the underlying tone I feel is, is, uh, like a long game. There's a long game here yeah. uh, at, at play. And, you know, you've proven that in, in time after time. And, and I guess, you know, the, 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 the podcast name is the picture of wealth. And in so your case, again, you know, people can look up your numbers, but one could argue that you could probably sell the coal company tomorrow and you personally wouldn't have to work, uh, you know, for a long time, but yet you still come and show up at work every day and you still have that drive to build different things is that is that something you've you work on regularly or that's something that's always just been around that you know what i'm i'm just gonna keep building this for whatever that reason and, and do you know what that reason is yeah i um there's a there's a good uh, and this is following buffett and munger and and others and don's been a great influence and and I've had I've had wonderful influences from mentors that either I've read about or have, have experienced personally. And I think I, you know, I got to the point. Um, I definitely got to the point. Maybe that's where the goal setting and the vision started to come from. It was about five years ago where I knew I didn't have to work anymore. I mean, it was a it was like, oh, what are we doing this for? Like I, and and literally up until that time, it was just. You're just going, you're just like going, going scared, going, running, running, running. And it's all working. And it was like, okay. And then it was, oh, okay. I don't, I don't necessarily need to do that anymore. What am I doing this for? And that's, that led to setting the goals around what we, what we wanted for the company. And, and there was a moment where I, I thought, well, I can either shrink this company down to something more manageable or grow it so that we can develop a leadership team and really take on the day-to-day -day and, and be able to take that Friday off that I take off now and, and enjoy more of, of what people traditionally think of what a business owner ends up doing, which, which is pretty, uh, it's hard uh, to get there uh, when you're the business owner. So was I, that moment of, was it a, was there a, a moment of, fear when you got to that point in in your kind of financial stability that you thought ah oh, like my identity or i'm a little bit scared or did you blow right by those emotions no it wasn't so much that it was that realizing that i needed i needed to understand i needed to spend more time figuring out what i was passionate about and what i really wanted to be you know to do in life and so that led to this bigger goal setting and the vision I talked about already and, and the you know, push towards net zero and trying to push the industry and, and having people feel really good about that, that work here and, and all that I thought were great things. Like I wanted to, I wanted to share in the success. I wanted to, I wanted to help create wealth for people. Um, you know, there was a bunch of things around, Hey, I've been able to do this myself. Maybe I can, 
turn around and try to help people do that for themselves as well. And like our matching program that we have, if, if people max out their matching in our investment in 10 years, they'll make as much money off their investment than they do working here. So we've intentionally designed that to try to encourage people to, to max out their, their investment. And, and so that's just my small way of trying to give back what, what I've been able to, to uh, earn over, over life, I guess. And, and so then you go, well, if, if that's the ambition and I'm, I'm trying to create this place where people love working, it's a great purpose that lasts forever. I don't, and, and early retirement is not this idea of, like I call it, the, there's the three Ds of early retirement drunk depressed and divorced and so <laughs> i like that i don't want to be i don't want to be in that category and and which one comes first you could argue i don't know but but yeah the three d's of early retirement um are pretty consistent and uh and so i don't think that that that's ever been a goal of mine i i've always admired uh, people that stay busy throughout their life and find things to be active with and keep their brain engaged and everything else. So that was a very brief moment of, well, I'm not going to do that. And then, okay, so if we're not, if I'm not going to do that, um, what would be more interesting? Building up the people because I couldn't at that point. I was like, well, I don't want to fire people and shrink down. So that was a really quick decision on, well, we're not going to shrink. Then I got to grow. Okay. Well, now I got to grow. I got to build a leadership team. All right, let's do that. And uh, it was it was a brief moment in time when that was considered, and then and then we pushed ahead. And now it's like it's unbelievable. I uh, like with the. I wish I'd have done this kind of goal setting and vision and thought clearly about it in the beginning, and we would have gotten, you know, not that we're here, there, whatever. It's still a journey. We've got a long. A long journey ahead of us but i feel personally i feel like the company's in as good a spot as it's ever been and and that's just through the evolution of the leadership and management team and, and everybody who works with us who buys into what we're doing and our values and our vision and, and the goals that we have and i mean yesterday i was on an orientation call we had 20 people on a new orientation call that have been hired in the last three months yeah and it's like and it, it's just taking a life of its own, right? And so now I'm, I'm just kind of sitting back and, and, and overseeing, directing, like looking at what's going on. And, and, and I'm just amazed by how much we're, we're doing and, and what we're getting done and, and how enthusiastic people are. It's awesome. Awesome. Can you, can you, uh, you and I have known each other for a little bit, but I know your network uh, is more than just sort of, you know, Don, your original, you know, investor. But those guys and that network of people all prescribe to, to staying, whether it's they're into stocks or they're into this and they research stuff. What, what are some of those traits about those, you know, I call them like wise old friends that we have that they do or they haven't prescribed to the retirement. And now that's like the next chapter. They've all stayed active. Is there any sort of outlying traits when you look at the cross section of them, or if you're, you know, you got them all around your big boardroom table and you go like, well, they all do X or they all, you know, read this or they all travel to this or they're all with their original spouse or, you know, like what, is there anything that comes to mind when you think of those guys and women? Jeez. Uh, anything consistent? Um, or just think of some some other you know traits from one or two of them that you, you that you look up to. Again, you mentioned Buffett and Munger, but they're you know those are your mentors and those are the, you know the, the guys you look up to. And you know if there's anything outlying that you you see. Yeah, it's funny. I I um, we have a lot of wonderful investors. Um, the ones that I enjoy, um, we've had some great returns and and we've had some. You know, we've been lucky in a lot of ways in what we've done. And so we get to we get to share in that success and share the rewards, which is I get more of a thrill out of doing that for people who don't have as much money than the people who do. I don't uh, if they've already made their millions, I don't it's not that exciting for me or them. Right. Like, I, right. It's like, oh, whatever. You know, oh, wow, you've added to your pile. And 
and that's not a big deal, right? Like I, I get way more enjoyment out of helping to, you know, it, it can be life changing for somebody at the more entry level of saving on uh, the perspective of, of starting to see now that we're in, we've been doing this in a bigger scale for 11 years. And you see some of those early investors that have compounded that, that wealth um, over 10, 11 years, it starts to become life changing to some of them. And there's, you know, this, we have a, a couple in particular I can think of that, that it's pretty awesome. And, and that is very fulfilling um, because they, they made the hard sacrifice of saving and, and took the risk with us and invested. So I can't take the credit. I mean, they, they did the hard work, but it's still so cool to see how that's turned out. And um, yeah, so I can't say the traits there are, you know, they, they, they scrimped and saved and, and invested and, and, uh, and managed to, to keep doing that over a longer period of time. And, and ultimately that's turned into something that helps change their life. As for the guys, the business owners and the, and that, the, we have that certainly most of our money, like probably a good 65% of our cash is from business owners. And I don't know, common traits, they're... Or common stories. I might have had a, like a story that sort of exemplifies the, that, you know, you know, and I'm kind of segueing into the question I asked everybody, what was, what is your ultimate picture of wealth? And, you know, that picture and that vision has come from a combination of your experiences and your beliefs and your virtues and your, your, your values. So you know, maybe that's an easier way to kind of tie in those things is like, you know, Scott Butler, what is your ultimate picture of wealth? Yeah, for me personally, like I can answer the, the first question. And then for me personally, I think what I do see from the investors and because it's a very, uh, curated set of investors i guess it's it's people that don and i know and there's definitely a sense that they're not just in it for the money like they're they like what we're doing they like us there's a lot of trust there um they it's it's a it's almost for the guys that are already wealthy it's just a game it's just you know it's fun making money because you feel like you made a good decision right so there's that element of it that you see in common but generally speaking they're all pretty they're all very humble they're not you know um they look at it as a just a good thing to invest in that they don't live extravagant lifestyles they they uh you know keep plugging away at what they're doing because they like it right they found something in life that they enjoy and they and they keep at it and so there is no driving force to just quit and go sail around the world or something. It's just they already enjoy their life and they they tend to have. And the people that Don knows, like I think of the, they're more of the business owners. There's a bunch of my friends, too. But, the you know, they're stable families, and good relationships with their kids and and all that kind of stuff. And so if you think about and maybe that's why they're attracted to what High Street's doing a bit, too, because if you ask me what my picture of wealth is. It's definitely around, you know, that, that stability and happiness with your immediate family and friends and having, you know, having people that you hang out with that you respect and admire and, and hopefully it's mutual and, and, you know, living a good life, like living a life that, that people won't, they always say that there's a line about, um, people aren't envious of of wealth um, if it's spent well, and and so there's this idea that you know you want to you want to live a good life for your kids, your family, your friends, and and do right by people. And I think if you do that, that's wealthy in itself. Like, and I I don't think you need a lot of money to have a good you know, uh, a wealthy life. Like mm-hmm. I think you can, you can have a wealthy life without a lot of money. I, I don't think I've, I've happened into this. I didn't plan all of this. Like it just kind of happened. I was, I was running scared for a while. It got way bigger than I thought. Now it's like, Oh my God, this, this is huge. 
but I didn't, there was no master plan. Like I would have been happy with a lot less. Yeah. And, and so you have to look at that and, you know, like people can be extremely happy with a nine to five job. And as long as they're financially secure and have a great family life and, and good friends and everything else, that's wealthy. Like to me, that's, that's wealthy and that's happiness. No, I, uh, I think that's a great uh, ending message, Scott, about it's an attitude uh, and approach. And uh, where, where can people, you know, people want to join the High Street family, people want to invest. Uh, is, as I asked the question, is, is this an open investment thing or is this like a close that happens once in a while? You need to be in the scene uh, or are you guys a, a fund or how, how does this work? Or, or my yeah. question was, where can people find you? So make sure you give us uh you know any websites that are particular and then uh you know also uh the various i think the various channels are investor renter purchaser of condo like his uh, yeah yeah for sure yeah just just google high street ventures you'll find us or high street i yeah. uh and we're we are a closed investment we it's all it's all just people don and i know um yeah. so we don't go out uh to anybody else with it um given our history whenever we need money we just go to the immediate group and, and we raise it that way so it's not a it's not something we're out looking for we're not we're not filling uh boardrooms and in, in hotels with, with people exact market eat. status yeah. and all that no, we're not doing that stuff. so yeah um but yeah so and employees i mean yeah we anybody that, that would love being a part of uh of helping push the industry and and help you know be be around a bunch of people that enjoy what they do um, yeah, just go to our website or go on Indeed. All of our postings are on there. But, yeah, really awesome. appreciate appreciate the opportunity to give the shout out, Dustin. Awesome. Oh yeah, well I I, I learned a lot. I uh, I know that the the listeners are going to appreciate that, and I'm sure there's there's about 19 different tangents that we could have mini pods on after. Uh, so again, thanks a lot uh, for being on the show today, Scott. Thank you, Dustin. Awesome uh, stuff you're doing. Really appreciate. It. Thank you. You're welcome. If you found this episode valuable share with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.